you guys will grab a Bible and turn on over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. All right, we're going to pick up where Pastor Santo left off. And uh, we're only going to be looking at three verses this morning. And so you'll see up there uh, verses 15 through 17. So chapter 3, verses uh, 15 through 17. We're looking at this uh, real important section about putting on uh, the holiness of Christ in our, the way that we live. Okay? So, let's all stand up together. And uh, if, if you're able, and uh, we're going to listen to God's word as we read it together. Or I'm going to read it for us. Uh, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word. You guys can take a seat. This morning, uh, we're going to continue on in our look uh, there at chapter 3. And uh, where we understand that we are one in Christ. And since we are one in Christ, we are really to put on this new self. This new Christian self or new Christian man or new Christian woman that uh, Jesus is working inside of us. If you guys remember last week, Pastor Santo, he kind of uh, has been using this idea of taking off dirty old clothes. Right? And that's really what the language is here in chapter 3. And uh, he talked about kind of when we go clamming in the summertime, we get in the bay, and the bay has a stinky, nasty mud. It gets all over you, especially in the summertime, dries up on you, gets all gross. And the idea of getting in the shower, ripping off all those old clothes, and then putting on these new, clean clothes. Unless you go clamming, there's not a feeling like that that you might understand. But getting clean, putting on the new self. So similarly, we're going to see how we as Christians, we take off that old man. We take off that old woman, the people that we used to be before Christ. And we put on Christ as it were. And so we're going to look at three things that God calls us to put on as believers. Okay, so the first one is we're going to see that God calls to put on the peace of Christ. So put on the peace of Christ, verse 15. But before diving into the first commandment, we need to remember the kind of specific situation of what's going on here at the church in Colossae. See, God had been working in the city of Colossae for a long time, way before Paul's letter showed up. You know, we read earlier in chapter 1, people like Epaphras and others who faithfully brought the gospel to this city, and a church started to form. People's lives were being radically transformed by Christ, by his gospel, just like the book of Acts, right? We read the book of Acts, and we see that it's a very exciting time. The gospel is going forth. People's lives are being changed. Churches are being formed. 
Same thing going on here in Colossae. But we also know about Colossae that false teachers were coming in. False teachers were coming in and spreading false teaching. Okay? They were spreading lies in and among the people there, confusing Christians by saying there is this deeper, fuller, more meaningful life as a Christian that you can have if only you follow these certain Jewish practices. Or if only you have this higher knowledge and wisdom, a philosophy, a worldly philosophy, that you add that on to your Christian life. Then you can have a deeper, fuller, meaningful life as a Christian. We've talked about before how it's kind of a Jesus plus system, right? Jesus is not enough, and so we've got to add something on top of Jesus in order to get this fullness of what we want to experience. And on top of that, this church, this community of faith, was bringing together all different kinds of people. Right? Chapter 3, verse 11 talks about this. I think Santo, that was two sermons ago. Circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. And all these people were coming together in the church of Jesus Christ under this one umbrella, this one unified whole. But at the same time, there were a lot of differences, right? And just like any big family, there are different personalities, different preferences, different things that get on each other's nerves, different baggage that we might have. And so as one big family, we know problems are going to spark up, right? And Paul knew that. That there were possibly a lot of things that could break that family unity. That church unity that Jesus said was to exist inside of the church. And so that's why it is important for us to heed the words of verse 15. Because verse 15, as we just read, and I'll read it again, says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So the church in many places in the New Testament, it's called the body of Christ. That's the word picture that we have there in the New Testament. A body that has fingers and arms and legs and different parts that come together as one whole. And so as, as individual Christians, or those that have been saved by God's grace, we've brought, been brought together as a family. And this family is to be characterized and even ruled by Jesus' peace. Okay? So as we get together, as we do life, as we work together out in the city, and as we come together here at church, our life is to be characterized by the peace of Christ. See, peace is talked about in a, in a couple of different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's more of a, a mental peace, right? We've talked about uh, Philippians 4 before. That talks about not being anxious, but putting on God's peace. Well, that's kind of a, a mental piece. What's going on here is more of a relational piece from person to person. So that there would be a peace and a harmony between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Between groups of people, a oneness, a togetherness, a harmony. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about his peace. See, today, just as in the early days of the church in Colossae, there are many things that can rule our hearts other than God's peace. Think about that for a minute. 
Think back to verse 5 in chapter 3. It says this, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. And I'm sure that we could go around and share the various things that tend to rule our hearts and minds other than God's peace. And it shows itself inside of our community. Too often we are ruled by jealousy, envy, a sense of competition between one another, a sense of I am better than you because, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a bitterness that rules us because of something someone else did or said to us that we haven't dealt with. And it puts a wedge between our relationships. It puts a wedge between our peace. You know, there are some things that ruled our hearts before we became Christians, but the text here says not anymore. That's not the way that we relate together. Those things, those the things that were mentioned early in chapter 3, that's not what characterizes or rules our hearts. Now it is God's peace. Listen to this quote from one of the commentators. It says this, When Christ rules in the heart, His peace will rule in the fellowship. Let me read that again. When Christ's rule, or sorry, when Christ rules in the heart, his peace will rule in the fellowship. In other words, when the peace of Christ rules your heart and rules my heart, it affects the way that we act towards one another. It affects the way that we speak towards one another. And if everyone is doing that, then it affects the whole community in a very positive way. And so when peace rules my heart and rules your heart and rules your heart and everybody's heart all the way around, it affects the way that we relate to one another. And we are a community that is characterized by Jesus' peace. Not envy, not competition, not pride or jealousy, not bitterness, not foul language to one another, but God's peace. And when that happens, it creates an inseparable unity that nothing can break apart. No preferences, no differences, no race, no, no social class. All those things can be brought together under Jesus and his peace. And we have seen that even in our church. The text doesn't stop here. It's not only are we to put on the peace of Christ, but we're also to put on the word of Christ. The peace of Christ and the word of Christ, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, as I was thinking about uh, the sermon and I think about the text, there are a lot of things that dwell in my heart richly, constantly, or abidingly. The problem is that a lot of times it's not good things. It's not the things that Jesus says, hey, your heart and mind should dwell on these things. Maybe it's uh, what's on my to-do list, right? Jason makes fun of me all the time for carrying around a clipboard. I got lots of different clipboards with lots of things on my to-do list, okay? I got it on my phone with lots of things on my to-do list that I want to check off. It dwells on my mind a lot, right? Maybe it's the, the next thing on my list as far as what's going on with a problem in my house or how can I balance everything that I need to do in the course of a day. I gotta get this done, I gotta get that done. Those things dwell on my mind. 
a lot more, honestly, than God's Word. But what about the Word of Christ? Somehow it always gets crowded out. Somehow I always get too busy. I always make up an excuse. Maybe you can share that same struggle with me. Well, Paul is instructing the Colossian church and us as a church today to say that we need God's word on our heart. And particularly, as, as some have pointed out before, that it's talking about the gospel. We particularly need the good news of Jesus Christ on our hearts and minds throughout our day. And the order here is really important. It begins with God's word, the Bible, the gospel, just as we talked about. It begins with, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Meaning, we don't need to turn to other things. We don't need other things to be on our hearts and on our minds to solve all problems. We don't need to turn to self-help books or secular smart people like Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever it is, your drug of choice. We need to turn to the Word of God. So step one is getting God's Word deep inside of our hearts and our minds so it is dwelling in us richly. But then as we see in verse 16, it kind of does something inside of us. One version says this, As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so what Paul is saying here is that there is a mutual teaching that is going on, a mutual admonishing that is going on from Christian to Christian, meaning in our daily interactions, we are teaching one another. We are admonishing one another. We are pushing one another towards Jesus. Now you may say, for example, you know what? I'm on board with the whole teaching thing. Amen, amen. There's many things I can learn from Annie Mae or Jason or Sean. There's many things I can learn from them, and I want to. But then it comes to admonish, and you're kind of like, oh, hold up a little bit. I don't know if I like that word too much. Admonish, right? kind of means to correct, to warn, to call out. We may, we may not be so quick to say amen to that. We don't like being held accountable. We don't like someone else speaking into our lives. And after all, didn't Jesus say, judge not, lest not you be judged? But here, we're called to make a humble and critical assessment of how someone's life matches up to God's word in certain times and to help them out for their good and for our good to say you know what Dave I see something in your life where he comes up and says I see something in your life going on that's really not matching up to God's word let's talk about that and he's not coming from a critical or judgmental thing but as a brother in Christ he's coming to me to say look God's calling me to speak into your life to help you maybe to see something that you can't otherwise see and remember, also, this is why it's so important that God's Word must be dwelling in us richly. Because if God's Word doesn't dwell in us, it's not going to happen in wisdom, like the text says, but it's going to happen in ignorance, in foolishness, in hatred, or say, saying, I am better than you, and therefore let me correct you. So it's important to note that there is a level and a kind of teaching that goes on from believer to believer 
regardless of sex or age or office held in the church. Now this doesn't minimize the, the, the um, role of a pastor in preaching God's word. But it is saying that we have a responsibility to teach one another about God. We have a responsibility to admonish one another about our relationship with the Lord. To hold each other accountable in our walks with God. But as we read from this verse a minute ago, there's a particular way in which this happens. And I find it pretty interesting. The way in which this happens, at least one way, is singing. Singing. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm not much for uh, musicals. Um, I, I don't really uh, like them too much, but I grew up with two sisters who really enjoyed them. Okay, so I watched Sound of Music, I watched Singing in the Rain, I watched, uh, what, Grease, I, all, I mean, whatever, tons of them. They were on all the time at my house, right? I, I didn't really get it, okay? So I'd sit there, and I'd endure it most times, but I didn't really get it. Why would you sing to one another? It's much more efficient just to talk, okay? Just to get that point across from a person to person. But nonetheless, some people like musicals. Now, I don't think what's going on here is that God's telling us to be a living musical to one another, okay? I don't think when Dave's coming up to me to kind of admonish me on something that he's supposed to sing that to me, okay? But what is going on here is that music plays an important role in the life of a church. Our singing plays an important role in our own growth to maturity as Christians. Douglas Moose uh, summarizes this way. He says, Paul wants the community to teach and to admonish each other by various kinds of songs. And he wants them to do it, do this singing to God with uh, hearts full of gratitude. Now let me take an example here in church history. Did you know that the hymnal... For example, that red book back there, on the back, the hymnal full of hymns, that it used to play a very, and still does, but a very important role in the life of believers. I think it was called uh, the poor man's systematic theology. So a systematic theology is kind of usually a big book that talks about different doctrines throughout scripture, and usually people that only that go to seminary study it, okay? Because they're like, about that bit. But... The hymnal was considered the poor man's systematic theology because a lot of times, not everybody could go to school throughout history and learn. Maybe not everybody had the, the capability to do that or the opportunity to learn, but they, everybody almost could sing. Almost everybody, right? Almost everybody can sing or hold a tune or try to sing. And so as they sang the various hymns, they learned about what? They learned about God. They learned about His Word. They learned about things like baptism, or they learned about things like the Lord's Supper. They learned about God's sovereignty. They learned about what it means to become more and more looking like Jesus Christ by their singing. We carry that tradition on today. That as we sing to each other, and ultimately as we sing to God, teaching is going on. Admonishing is going on between us. Learning is going on. And as we pointed out in the quote earlier, we as Christians have a very diverse arsenal of songs that we can use and kinds of songs that we can use to teach each other, to admonish each other. This can be anything from actually singing a song, which we've done here at New City Fellowship. 
It could be something like singing a hymn, right? Uh, Amazing Grace, a famous hymn that we sing sometimes. A lot of people know that hymn. Or it could be Pastor Santos shredding over here on his guitar or playing the drums, singing about how God has saved him and made him a new person. All different kinds of songs, different preferences, different music styles. They're all okay, they're all good, and they're all teaching and admonishing us. That's what's going on as we sing in worship. So I thought taking an example from this morning's worship service would be helpful. Think about the song we just sang before the sermon, step by step. The second verse says this, I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. Step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. So as Dave and Jamie are singing this song, leading us in worship, and as you guys are singing this, for example, I might stop and say, hmm, am I actually seeking you, Lord, when I start my day? As the song says, am I seeking to follow you in all of your ways? And then I might stop and think, you know what? Most times I start my day by just picking up my phone, checking out what I missed while I was sleeping on Facebook or my email or whatever. I don't start my day in worshiping God or praying to God. And maybe that's a place where God's using Dave and Jamie and you guys to admonish me through a song to say, look, God comes first. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. That's not happening in your life. Or maybe it's even an encouragement, right? Sometimes I, I really enjoy just stopping and listening to God's people worship. It's just something really, really sweet for me when I get to do that, to stop and to hear God's people worshiping God. I don't have to be singing all the time. My heart is worshiping alongside of you guys, and I'm being encouraged, I'm being taught about God, reminded about who He is and what He's doing in my life, and we're worshiping together. So already in our passage, we have seen the call to put on the peace of Christ, we've called to put on the word of Christ, and then lastly in verse 17, put on the good works of Christ, the good works of Christ. Verse 17 says this, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now we know that when we become Christians, no part of our life is left untouched by God. Every single part of our life is His. If you think about a pizza pie, it's not just one little slice that is the God slice or the Christian slice and then you have all these other parts of your life that you say, God, you can only have that one slice. No, He's got the whole pie. Okay? And we know as Christians, He cares about every part of our life. Our heart is His, our mind is His, our dreams are His, our future, our present are His, our speech, our actions. And so Paul makes it clear that whatever you do, anything, do it all in the name of the Lord. It reminds me that uh, uh, something sometimes we do on Sunday nights is we, uh, me and my family, we try to sing you know, a few songs. And uh, like I think I said before, I play a little bit of guitar, but I only play it for my family, okay? So don't ask me to get up here and, and sing anything. But I do play sometimes. And there's one song that my kids particularly like. 
And uh, I think the title of it is, Let Everything That Has Breath Praise the Lord. All right? And uh, at one part of the song, we, uh, I kind of stop and we say, uh, praise him, and then we fill in the blank. All right? So praise him in the morning, or you know, praise him when you're eating, and we go, we go through this. And I, I let them kind of throw one in there, right? So they talk about eating, and talk about um, you know, when they're brushing their teeth, when they're going to bed. This whole idea of praising God in whatever we do, right? Every single activity from the important to the menial and everything in between. And we kind of sing this song. But what does it mean, in the name of the Lord? In the name of the Lord. That's kind of different from some of the other parts of Scripture that says, do everything to the glory of God. Well, we kind of know what that means, but what does it mean in the name of the Lord? One commentator puts it this way, to act in the name of a person is to act as his representative. As his representative. So we know that Jesus, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven. And he has left us here as his ambassadors, his representatives, who go and live for him in the world. Right? We are representing somebody. We are reflecting somebody to the world. So as they look at us, they see a picture of Jesus. They see a picture of who God is as we talk to them, and as we serve them, as we love them, as we engage with them. We do it for him or on his behalf. And now obviously we can't do that in our own selves, in our own power. God works that in us, right? We can't do that on our own. But God calls us to be his representatives in the good works that we do. Remember our Bible study in Ephesians 2, 2.10. God has prepared works beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. That we should do them. And as we do them, they see a picture of Jesus in and through us as his representatives. Well, as we come to a close this morning, I want to point out one more thing about the text that kind of came up a lot of times. And it's this idea of gratitude, an idea of thankfulness. Notice with each command attached to the end is, for example, a call to be thankful or to do something with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then the last one is carrying out our good works, giving thanks to God. Now, why would Paul emphasize this in these three verses all three times? Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. We know that Paul in this section is very concerned about the unity and formation of the church, the Christian community. So why emphasize thankfulness so much? Well, as I wrestle with this, I thought that one of the reasons is that few, there are few things like ingratitude and complaining and an ungrateful heart that destroy the unity of the church. There are few things like a complaining, ungrateful heart that destroy the unity of the church. We are supposed to be one. We are supposed to be a family. But when a family is bickering, when a family is complaining, when a family is ungrateful, there's not going to be much family coercion there. Family togetherness, teamness. And so I think that's one reason why Paul would say, guys, remember to be thankful for who God is and what he's done and what he continues to do in your life and as a community. Because as we are thankful, God is building an inseparable unity between us that cannot be broken despite our many differences. 
despite our many preferences that are different from one another. We are not all the same people, and that is okay. That is by God's design. But these differences cannot affect our unity. They cannot separate us. Rather, with thankfulness, they bring us together for how God has made his diverse body, his diverse bride, the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, your word really is a a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Father, we thank you for uh, just a chance to be able to come together this morning and to sing. God, I don't always feel like singing, but I'm very thankful, Lord, that I'm around people who like to sing and who teach me and who admonish me and who encourage me towards you. And that's happening all over our church each and every time we gather and as we sing. God, so we pray that you would please unify us as New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. We may be a small family, Lord, but you do great things through small things. And so, God, we pray that you would unify us together. Help our love for each other to grow. God, that the peace of Christ would dominate our community. God, that your word would characterize our fellowship. And Lord, that our good works would stem all from that, Lord, and that would impact far and wide across Atlantic City and indeed in all of our hearts and lives. We love you, Lord. We pray this only by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.